Hello, and welcome to Trek in Time, the podcast that takes a look at Star Trek in order and in history. What we are going to be doing is taking a look at each episode of Star Trek in chronological order. Right now, we are still in the first season of Enterprise, and we're also going to be taking a look at how things were in the world at the time of the original broadcast. We'll also take a deeper dive into either elements of the episode or some other areas that the episodes make us think of. So tripping off into scientific research or moments of history or sometimes about the actors and the creators of the show. So who's doing all this talking, you're wondering? Well, it's me. It's me, Sean Farrell. (laughs) It's Sean. It's me. (laughs) I'm a writer. I write some stuff with some sci-fi in it. I also write picture books for kids. And with me is my brother, Matthew. He's the tech guru and main inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. So between the sci-fi stuff and the tech stuff, we're covering all things Trek. Before we continue, don't forget there are ways you can support the podcast. You can, of course, keep doing what you're doing right now. Use those ear holes. Or if you're on YouTube, use those eye holes. Watch, (laughs) listen, subscribe. Share us with your friends, even share us with your enemies. You can also go to pod.fan slash trek dash in dash time. And there's a cookie jar there. You can throw some coins in. We appreciate whatever kind of support you're able to give, whether it's financial or just being a subscriber. Before we get into this newest episode, I wanted to share some viewer slash listener comments from previous episodes. And this one is just kind of a general thought about Enterprise as a whole from Rando. I don't assume that's their real name. Rando wrote, From the start, Archer was a hothead and a bit of a moron. Trip, the chief engineer, is often depicted as a slow hillbilly. I understand that they were trying to depict (laughs) the humanity that was in the process of learning to become the enlightened folks we see in the 23rd and 24th centuries, but they didn't give enough thought to the viewers. I had to force myself through three seasons before I finally started to really like the show in season four, and then it was gone. I have a feeling that a lot of people are in that boat, and that's part of the reason the show didn't succeed. Yeah, um, I'm not in his camp completely. Like, I don't think that it was overly, you know, hillbilly yeah. <laughs> for Trip, and I don't think Archer was a complete hothead. I think he was more of a he's very rigid. Mm-hmm. He's very, you know, he's trying to present strength and trying to figure his way through this. Uh, so I kind of liked his portrayal about halfway through the show. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to really kind of get warmed up to him. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Rando, I agree with you. Rando is at a different part of the spectrum as far as viewership of the show. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think he does tap into a vein that a good percentage of the viewership was experiencing at the time. And even to this day where yes. when you watch this show and we'll talk about this as we get into this particular episode today, uh, there are times where it didn't feel particularly trekish. Oh yeah, it it felt a little bit like uh, why are they seeming to be trying to invent what kind of world this is when this is the far from being the first Star Trek show. Um, mm-hmm. It seems at times like they lost their way a bit. So I, I appreciated the comment from Rando saying that they didn't give enough thought to the viewers, and I and I think that that is evident in some of these episodes that we've talked about 
Today's episode, though, episode 13, Dear Doctor, which was directed by James A. Contner and written by Andre and Maria Jacquematon, I think this is the exception that proves the rule. This episode aired on January 23rd, 2002. It had 5.65 million viewers. It is, again, another drop in viewership, even though mm-hmm. it had the same percentage as of viewers as the previous week, the overall number of people watching television was down. So the numbers keep dropping. And what was the world like when this episode aired? Well, as I mentioned, January 23rd, 2002, we were still struggling through dark days. Yes, I'm referring to Nickelback's (laughs) number one song, How You Remind Me. We're going to be saddled (laughs) with this one for a while, Matthew. Mm, Nickelback. Yeah. The number one movie was Black Hawk Down. It raked in $28 million. And for people who don't remember, Black Hawk Down is a 2001 war film produced and directed by Ridley Scott. It was written by Ken Nolan, and it's based on a book from 1999, which was about the U.S. military's 1993 raid in Mogadishu, which went sideways quickly. The movie starred an ensemble cast, including Josh Hartnett, And people may remember Josh Hartnett, who had a hot 15 minutes of leading man uh, roles. And then he went away. And just a few years ago, there was an article with him where it referred to the fact that he went away by his own choice. He did not uh, stop getting offered roles. He just decided he didn't like being an A-list celebrity. So (laughs) the movie included Josh Hartnett. Ewan McGregor, Eric Banya, Tom Sizemore, William Fitcher, Sam Shepard, Jeremy Piven, and Tom Hardy in his first film role. So that's quite the cast. And Ridley Scott, quite the director. And the movie overall is is considered a classic. As far as TV viewing, the most watched show this week was Friends, which received a 22.99, let's just call it 23 million viewers, I don't think we're going to quibble over a 0.01 million. And uh, the New York Times was full of headlines related to the ongoing war that was developing as a result of 9-11. And the main headline being Rumsfeld defends treatment of detainees in Cuba. The U.S. Mm -hmm. had rounded people up, taking them to Guantanamo Bay and holding them in non-civilian courts without representation, without lawyers, and were basically the U.S. government at that point was being very secretive about what was going on in Cuba. Yep. Also in the headlines, Bush, in a reverse, expressed outrage about the Enron scandal. And listeners from last week will remember that the Enron scandal had just started appearing in the news at the dissolution of Enron from a massive stock market favorite to effectively almost overnight just deflating like a balloon. And it turned out that the scandal there was huge because Enron had been using shady financial practices to hide debt and business failures. Also in the headlines were the development of an MTA program or project, I'm sorry, an MTA project to rebuild the transportation hub that was destroyed by the tower collapse of 9-11. 
and it would take many years. The that hub just reopened about a year before the pandemic hit. So it was in 2018 or early 2019 that the hub fully reopened with a redesign that I have actually used on my commutes here in New York City. And the redesign is pretty impressive. It managed to, because they had to redesign things so completely, they basically, instead of recreating what had existed before, which was like a pile of spaghetti, they created a hub that was very seamless in its design and actually very pretty to look at. So this episode today, dear doctor, I've referred a couple of times to the fact that I think that this episode is the exception that proves the rule of enterprise kind of struggle to find its footing. Matt, do you want to give us a quick synopsis? Sure. Uh, Flox is asked to save a species called the Volokians that they come across on a planet that are all dying from a disease. However, he discovers something unusual about the Mank, which is another species on the same planet. Uh, it's a little connection between those two species, about one of them slowly dying off and the other not. Right. So this episode takes place at some point in the fall of 2151. As we've mentioned before, the Enterprise stories take place prior to them using star dates. And so we're using calendar dates instead. The next episode, which is several episodes away that has a hard date, has a hard date of November 9th, 2151. So we're in this episode probably sometime in September or October. This is basically similar to an episode that revolved around data Mm -hmm. in Next Generation where data was corresponding with a scientist who was the scientist who in a great episode had wanted to take data apart. And of course that episode... uh, resulted in data being effectively put on trial for whether or not he was a life form. And that doctor continued to correspond with data and was actually a character then in the Picard series where it was his work was leading to a new generation of artificial humanoids. So this episode follows a similar format of that episode with Data where Dr. Flox is corresponding with another doctor who is in the medical exchange program that is how Dr. Flox is even serving on the Enterprise. And Dr. Jeremy Lucas, his friend, is serving a term on Denobula. So the two of them are writing back and forth to each other. Jeremy Lucas's letter is amusing, I think, in how he shares that it's currently mating season on Denobula, and the results are eye-opening. And Dr. Phlox responds with, I'm very familiar with how uh, kind of shocking that experience can be and how difficult it can be to, as he puts it, separate the combatants. And... (laughs) (laughs) It leaves a lot to the yeah, imagination. It leaves, the way the it whole, leaves a the lot thing. to the imagination. Yeah. And he begins in Dr. Flox's response, it's it's the, that's the framing of the the episode, is that as the story progresses, we're also getting insight into Flox's interpretations of what's going on because he is sharing this in the the letter that he's writing to this other doctor. They while that setup has started, 
the bridge crew is discussing the discovery of a pre-warp vessel and they scan it. They discover that it does have some life forms on it, but the vessel itself is effectively dead in space and it's a pre-warp vessel. So there is some confusion about what they should actually do. And they end up going aboard the ship and they find Valakians and the Valakians have basically gone into space and been in space for a year, effectively just looking for help. And they're almost dead. Yeah, it's a, it's an it's a very compelling setup for a series that has dealt with so many species that are warp capable and setting up a galaxy where you see the interactions between the crew if they're on a planet that doesn't have warp technology it's because they went to that planet this is one of the few cases of interacting with somebody who has basically been doing old spacefaring of getting into a ship going as fast as you can and just hoping for the best they are be like us going out into space right now yeah it's it's yeah. really it's really quite a compelling setup, um, almost like finding a life raft with somebody who's washed ashore. It sets up an interesting right out of the gate, interesting discussion, and I'm interested, Matt, in your thoughts about the debate about whether or not you go help a planet that doesn't have warp technology based on. As they discuss it here, T'Pol makes the case that, well, they found us. They came looking for us. Yep. And I'm curious, Matt, with the prime directive in future series, how do you think other crews would have responded to this moment? To what's going yeah. on here? I think they would have done the exact same thing that this crew does. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they've got the first, you know, th- they've got all the, the rules in place. But I think to Paul, in that scene that you're t- t- talking about, described it the best. And I actually have a note of, I loved the moment where Captain Archer is clearly full of empathy and wants to desperately help mm-hmm. these people. And he turns to, to Paul and kind of does like a little head nod. And the two of them go off to the side yeah. and he says to her, what do you think? And I, I love, I keep saying this i love the unspoken character development they're doing with all these characters and their relationships Mm -hmm. showing how much he's actually trusting her how much she's starting to get to know him and how they have this kind of just like a little head nod and like what do you think and her saying we they've already met two different face you know warp capable species it's at this point we're not going to damage their evolution because we've already you know it's already happened right and they did it on their own so them coming out to us and asking for help i don't see any problem with this right and i thought that was that was a great just breakdown from the logic person on board the <laughs> the vulcan on board so for me this did not feel out of character for future generations of shows at all yeah. it, it felt like if this was picard on the enterprise the exact same thing would have happened with data saying hey they've already met two species you know there's no problem with this yeah because it would have fit right into the the principles that are set forward. And do I remember correctly, one of the species was the Ferengi and the other was the Orions? Was that the... It wasn't the Orions. It was the Ferengi and the... Um, I can't remember what the other one was. 
Maybe it was the Arends. I don't think it was the Arends, but one was definitely the Ferengi, which I thought was a nice little It was, touch. yeah, I of, thought it was. And it was like, of course they wouldn't help because they're all about profits yeah. and everything like that. And they'd see these dying people and be like, oh, we're out of yeah. here. <laughs> There's nothing in this for us, so we're going to leave. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I agree that it, the fact that the spacefaring race is going out at impulse speeds mm-hmm. is not the deciding factor. It's the fact that they have already interacted with other warp capable species i agree that that's the tipping point that that makes the logic work so they end up going to the valakian homeworld and they meet esak who is the director of a clinic and they tour the clinic and it's to paul phlox archer ensign uh, sato and this episode is really the first time that i think they give ensign sato a lot of good stuff to do in a way that makes sense. She is working on deciphering the language at first. Once they're finally able to communicate with the pilot of the ship that they find, she then has a role in going down and working with everybody to make sure that it's critical that Phlox's interaction with these doctors work well seamlessly language-wise. He can't do anything if anything is mistranslated. So her interaction with all this makes perfect sense. They also have along with them a uh, return of Elizabeth Cutler, who was a character that was introduced in previous episodes. This is the character played by Kelly Wehmeyer. We've talked about her before, about how much we liked her. We liked her, her role in the show. Sadly, this is one of the final times we see her. There's one more episode past this. Kelly Weimeyer was very young, but passed away unexpectedly due to heart failure, due to a pre-existing condition that was undiagnosed. And so this is one of the few times that we get to see this character. And it's nice that she's not only in this episode and is doing work that makes sense as far as like her interactions with these with these people, she's described as being an exobiologist. So her experience of working with these uh, Valakians and figuring out what's going on with this disease makes sense from her scientific perspective. There's also a very nice, and I think it's a very tender storyline around her and Phlox having a growing romantic connection. And it is not mm-hmm. something that I think distracts from the main story. Um, it's, tangential to it i think it doesn't play a lot in directing what happens with the a storyline but i think that it's a very nice storyline because it's doing one of the things that trek has in its best episodes moments where characters can grow during an episode as opposed to just like long story arcs where you have a season-long development of something in some of these episodes where you think about episodes where maybe Data has an experience which fundamentally changes who he is from the beginning to the end of an episode, this is that for Flocks. And I think I, that the letter writing and this relationship issue do that for this character in a way that I think really, really works. Yeah, I was going to... I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but I actually do think that that little romantic storyline is actually not tangential. It actually is pivotal to the point of the entire episode. It's kind of like the breakdown between plot and story. And like the pl- main plot is what's happened to the Valachians. Right. 
But when you're talking about the story, the point of the entire episode is basically a comment on humans and empathy. Right. And so every, the A plot, the B plot, the C plot, everything in there is tied into that emotional, like other species commenting on humanity's obsession with empathy mm-hmm. and helping others. And it was beautiful i thought that entire storyline was so well done because it was like you have to paul when he talks to to paul because he says i think ensign cutler may have interest in me romantically and he's asking to paul for guidance and so here's one species non-human to to another non-human and this and to paul says be careful because it's like humans have a tendency to get fascinated with the new and like you're new and so it may it may not go into a place you want. And I thought that's not what's going on here, yeah. but you can see why to Paul has that point of view. And so it was fun to see how the entire episode, Dr. Flox just kept questioning the captain of like, why are kind of like, I don't see why we're doing this. Yeah. I don't see why we're doing this. Why do you expect me to save an entire planet? It's like, I, this is like a Herculean effort. I may not be able to do this. And is this even the right thing to do? Right. And he's questioning it all. And he keeps coming back to why are humans so obsessed with empathy? And that ties back to a note I also had that I wrote near the beginning of the episode, which is about Flox's homeopathic medicine that he does mm-hmm. and how he interacts with he uses all these creatures for medicine and worms and birds and like there's all these kind of weird things that he uses it's very homeopathic and there's this view that he comes across just from that of this is a living creature but it can provide life for something else so if it has to die to do this other thing then it served its purpose and it's this very cold calculated thing about life and medicine yeah and so the fact that flox has this view on like why are we bending over backwards to help these people that are dying from a natural disease? It didn't make sense to him to bend over backwards the way they were because for him, it's this kind of cold calculated decision of life does its thing. And like, it's kind of a pointless effort to kind of bend over backwards for somebody you don't even know to do this thing. And I thought it was just a fascinating that the entire episode was all just, it's about empathy and humanity. And so that's where I kind of disagree with you a little bit that I think the romantic storyline actually was a very <laughs> important storyline. Well, I don't, I don't think like we actually C disagree line. at all. I think that uh, yeah. it may have been a bad framing on my part. When I said tangential, I meant from a plot perspective, yeah. it doesn't yeah. have, there's nothing that happens in the B storyline that forces an element of Correct. the A storyline, but it is absolutely about the commentary on the yes. A storyline. And then there's a C storyline, which is all the stuff with the letter writing, his treatment yep. of his own animals. I love the sequence where he is treating uh, the dog. He's treating yes. Captain Archer's yes. dog for digestive issues, which come from the fact that Archer can't say no to his dog, Porthos, when it comes to cheese. So he's feeding cheese to his dog, which is giving his dog indigestion and flocks in looking at how he talks to his dog yeah. is just like they don't get it, it. they <laughs> anthropomorphize why are they doing this and it's exactly as yeah. you said all of this is about why do they do this and then when they have a very nice scene where he directly confronts cutler and is just basically like what's happening here yeah and expresses 
the we are different. You need to come into this. If you're coming into what I think you're coming into, you need to understand that we are different and I may not have the same interaction and experience of it as you will. Mm-hmm. Even coming to a point of saying, I have multiple wives. They are current wives and they have multiple husbands. Relationships are not for us what it is for you. And her wisdom in that moment to not only accept that, but to be able to ride mm-hmm. with it and be able to say like, let's just see what happens. Let's see where this goes. I'm not, lo- yeah. I'm not looking to be the n- number yeah. wife number, number four. Yeah, number let's four, just see where yeah. this goes. Yeah. So I think I it's, it was a, it's a really, it's a really smart episode from multiple perspectives with these multiple storylines that are going on and are informing each other, even though they don't do very often what you end up with in an A storyline and a B storyline is an awkward intersection of the two late in the episode where suddenly it's like, oh, this person that he's been involved with and this growing romance is now suddenly in danger in the A Mm storyline. And that would feel very forced and very fake. None of that is happening here. It just feels like an across-the-board expansion of the character of Phlox. And as you mentioned, examining empathy in, in humanity's, humanity's experience. So one of the things that they discover while they're on the planet and they're taking a tour of the clinic is Sato is the one to discover that there's a second less evolved humanoid species, which is called the Menk, and they also live on this planet and they share the planet with the Valachians. And there is, there are, I think, multiple levels of what this is saying about the Valachians and about the Menk. The Menk are being treated almost like subservient children or pets. There are a few moments of raising the issue of the Valachians don't allow these people to basically have arable land, to live on their own, to self-govern. But the Menk's response to this is they're good to us. They treat us nice. And mm-hmm. it's there's no conflict there. It's a very strange caste system that humans are looking at and saying, like, is this okay? This is... Yeah. It's really a moment of like, is this acceptable that they treat these people like this? And they have a wonderful moment where Phlox is very interested in why the Menk are not experiencing the disease in the same way the Valachians are. They're just not getting sick. So he goes and they are taking samples from the Menk. And the Menk very willingly, like as soon as these strangers show up, just line up and are just like, take what you want. Like there's no expectation. Yeah, there's yeah. there's no expectation of like you're going to do something that's going to hurt us. So they're just giving blood samples and tissue samples to these complete strangers. And there's one mank in particular who is shown to be color coding the samples. And Flox is incredibly impressed at the fact that this mank has color coded these samples to cross reference them for family connections and marriage connections in a way that will help inform Phlox's research. And this Menk has done this without being asked to do it. And so it begins to add an element to, do the Valachians have a biased view of the Menk, which is keeping them subservient when the Menk may be demonstrating more capacity 
So that begins to be an element that, that will become highlighted toward the end of the episode. Phlox becomes very focused on how the Menk may in fact have an element to be a cure to the, the disease. And while he's doing his research, Archer is being tasked with a moral dilemma in the form of the Vlachians straight out asking for warp drive technology. This yep. is where immediately the prime directive would be called into, into play. Exactly. Yep. And Archer makes a point of saying we don't have any rule prohibiting any of this. And to go back to something you mentioned earlier, the nice depiction of the growing relationships between the characters there's another really great scene between Archer and T'Pol where mm -hmm. it's another debate of Archer looking at T'Pol and saying, I'm beginning to understand what your people experienced when they came to Earth and Earth, the society there said, give us what we need to be able to go into space. Yeah. And he even suggests perhaps we could not just give them warp technology because who knows if they'd even be able to handle antimatter or even know about it or even know how dangerous it is. Maybe we stay here and help guide their research. And to Paul has a cutting statement. I can tell by the look yeah. in your face that you, yes, you know exactly what I'm referring to. She says 90 years ago, we, st we stayed and we're still on earth. We're still there. Yeah. I so love, it was such a great yeah, comment. It was so perfect. Yeah, it is. It is something that we see time and time again in our own history. The moment you go to a place to do a thing, you may be at that place forever to keep things in the frame that you thought they should have been in the first place. So you need to be very careful about goals and where you step in. We're seeing that right now. With Afghanistan. Yeah, with Afghanistan. <laughs> the U.S. pulling out of Afghanistan is leading to a collapse of a government that was largely put in place by the U.S. government. And so the question is, what was, how was that ever going to be self-managed if it didn't occur organically within Afghanistan through their own hands? The moment we leave, it falls apart. So we're seeing it in the real world. Flox, meanwhile, continues his research and makes a discovery. Matt, do you want to touch on what that discovery is? Uh, for the cure? <laughs> yeah, what the cure is and what his discovery of the source of the disease was. Um, it, was it had something to do with their gene pool, that they had isolated their gene pool so much that this kind of led them to a dead end. And the mank would have been a way kind of out of that. Like if they're, it's, it's even, had, it's even yeah. a little, I think a little more tragic than that. It's that the Valachians uh, DNA appears to have reached a point where it's breaking down. It, do, yes. it no longer will be viable. And he says, we're looking at a few generations away of the Valachians not being able to exist as a species. And that he is seeing signs of evolution in the Menk, which he says could in fact lead to them being the dominant species on the planet and evolving. And he says, perhaps in millennia, 
into a society that might be more complex than what they would be on their own right now. But they need to be given that chance to become the dominant species. But I think the most important part about this is not necessarily just that. It's the conversation between him and Archer when he's revealing all of this because he almost didn't tell Archer. Archer was asking him like how much longer and Phlox was hemming and hawing and Archer realized he's like, wait, have you already figured something out? Yeah. Phlox came, came clean and said, yes, I've already figured out what this is and just laid it out there of like, I don't think we should be doing anything because this is the natural order of things of how things are going to play out. Yeah. We're not God. We're not here to play God because if we save them, we damn the mank. Yeah. And if we don't do this, the natural order of things will bring them in and allow them to flourish. And this is one of those things that I love about Star Trek. And this episode felt super Star Trek to me yeah. because of this. It's dealing with these very heady issues of there's no right answer here. Yeah, It's like there really is not a right answer. It's like you're trying just to kind of fumble your way using logic and emotion to try to figure out what's the best path forward. And I, I, I got to say this right now. It's like, I yeah. love this episode. I thought it was brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. It's one of my favorite characters in the show. Flox, yeah. Flox, Flox. It's like he's in the episode for two minutes and he just brightens my day every time he shows up. And that the fact that this was an entire episode about him and it was so wonderful. It's like this, this episode to me is the most Star Trek episode of the entire series so far. And it's not a, like you pointed out, we've already seen this type of storytelling in Next Generation. It's not a new formula from star trek it's an old formula but the way they went about it was very new and it was a way we've never seen it done in star trek because it's coming at it from this very uh messy period of star trek where they're bumping up against walls because they they don't know better so it's it's i love i love the interaction between him and archer and not to jump too far ahead but like his closing letter to his colleague basically saying I regret that I almost didn't tell yeah. Captain Archer because I didn't think he would know what the right yeah. thing to do was and I need to I have more faith in him now because it's one of those him doubting humans ability to make good decisions yeah. because of their empathy to Paul doing the same thing doubting a human's ability to make good decisions because they get fascinated by the new and the shiny and it's like it's a very human centric storytelling from Star Trek humans are the glue that pulls everything together because it's like Vulcans are too logical and this group is too emotional and and the humans are just very right in the middle. They can blend that logic and the emotions and they can pull all this stuff together to make the everything kind of hum. And that's, of course it's that way because it's written by humans. But at the same time, it's like, it's, it's, it's the wonderful to kind of see how these other species as they were commenting over the entire episode at the end come to the conclusion of like the humans really kind of have something yeah. going on here. We have to give them a little more respect. Yeah, I agree with, with all of that. And I think that the, the scene between flocks and Archer, I think is a terrific scene with, with Archer's commenting of maybe we need something that would be a prime directive. That would be the rule by mm-hmm. which we would immediately hit a wall and know we weren't going to, there was there may be a moral conundrum, but that rule would hold us to a path that would make it easier for us mm-hmm. to have these decisions um, somewhat already made for us. And 
he's bemoaning the fact that, again, this is the Wild West version of Star Trek of him looking around and saying, nobody's going to make that decision but me. And hmm. I think where Enterprise becomes most Trek-like is in those moments where they refer to the fact that they are operating without a net. They don't have those rules in place and they are discovering what it would mean to be Starfleet. Hmm. And I think the places, and this goes back to the comment that I shared at the beginning of the episode from Rando, it's almost like they didn't, the creators of Enterprise didn't give enough credit to the audience to be able to embrace that kind of nuanced storytelling. And instead, they are throwing in some of the earlier episodes a whole lot of winking at the camera and pseudo nostalgic references like inclusion of way too much inclusion of known species like mm-hmm. Klingons will be coming back in a future episode. We'll be talking about next week. The over, over um, reliance on those familiar elements instead of exploring how did some of the rules and decision-making and what is taken for granted within Starfleet, how did those come into being? And we've seen it in a lot of episodes around Reed, where Reed is making comments of, maybe when we show up at a place and we see a vessel we don't know, maybe we should raise our shields. Maybe we should scan them. <laughs> maybe we should like yep. have some precautions in place. And now here's Archer doing the same thing. Maybe we need rules that would guide us in this kind of difficult decision-making. I thought it was also very interesting in my research on this episode that UPN actually requested a change to the ending of the episode because as it was originally written and filmed, Phlox and Archer disagreed about what to do in the final conclusion. Archer originally would have wanted to save the race and Phlox was arguing about letting evolution take its course. And they ended up changing the ending so that it's what it is now, where Archer expresses the desire to, I wish I could help them. But his Mm -hmm. nuanced argument is, but you and I are on the same page. We both recognize we don't have, we don't, we cannot take that kind of moment away from one species to say that we're choosing another one over them. And, the episode ends with a very, it's a hard pill to swallow at the end when they go back to the planet and say to these people, we're sorry, we are not going to help you beyond this. This medicine could hopefully prolong your ability to keep looking for help or looking for a cure for 15 years or so. But beyond that, we aren't going to be able to do anything for you. And I thought it was a real, I think a lesser writer might have made the Valakians do something like take a hostage or it would have turned into some weird action-y moment. This episode is so Trek because it doesn't drop into that kind of, oh, suddenly they've taken the crew hostage and they're holding the captain hostage unless he gives them warp technology or the cure. It is a very quiet and sad and somber ending to 
a hard issue to look at. And the acting of Archer in the reshot mm-hmm. argument scene and the ending, I think, actually worked out better because there was a multi-layered... Archer yeah. was angry when he was talking to to, to mm-hmm. Flocks, saying, damn it, I want to help these yeah. people, but we can't. And it was like there was this anger, this simmering under the surface that I thought was really cool. And the same thing when he was on the surface telling them, can't help you. There was this undercurrent of uh, like gritting your teeth, yeah. just like, uh, I, this is feels horrible. I don't want, I don't like doing this because he's basically lying to them and just right. lying by omission is what he's doing to them. And it was just, it was painful to watch. And I thought that was a better, that was a wonderful ending because it was a, yeah. a bitter pill to swallow. So we've talked a lot about the things that we thought worked in the episode. Clearly, Matt and I are both huge fans of this episode. I would say that looking back at all of Enterprise, I would say this is a classic episode. This is one that if you were not Mm -hmm. to watch, if you were to say, okay, pick the 10 episodes of Enterprise that you should watch, I would say this one is probably in that list of 10. Me too. As far as things that didn't work so well in this episode, the big one for me that stood out was the universal translator never seems to work for the Mank. No explanation as to why. That made no Sato that is made talking to them. No, She's learning elements of their language and saying things like tik tik for thank you. And they're super impressed when one of the Mank has learned the word food and brings something out and uses their word to them. And this is one of the elements of this episode that's supposed to be Hmm, maybe the Menk are not the crude humanoids that we are told that they are. Maybe there's something more to them here. And while that's a nice moment to have, and I could see why they were going for that, the fact that the Universal Translator never translates their language, which the argument no sense. about the Menk would be their language would actually be more primitive and therefore should have been easier for the translator to break down yes so yeah that just didn't make any sense matt was there anything for you that stood out as like a high point or a low point in this episode that you that you wanted to call out that we haven't talked about already Uh, no because the 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 writing for me was the high point and that little bit of the mank stuff was the 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 low point but it was such a minor issue for me it didn't really matter too much For me, I wanted to go into a deeper dive on something that came up in a conversation between Archer and Phlox. One of the things that Phlox says in their discussion around the morality of whether to help or not help, and Archer makes a point of how can you not help people in the face of their DNA turning against them. And Phlox makes the point of saying, what if an alien species millennia ago had shown up at earth and decided to help the neanderthal so that the neanderthal could have remained the dominant species on the planet in place of homo sapiens where would that put you now Mm -hmm. and that of course is a compelling argument but it made me think about about evolution and about dna and about news that i remember seeing about a year ago And so I did a little bit of digging and I found this article in the National Geographic, which is by Maya Mm -hmm. Y. Haas. It's from January 30th, 2020. 
And it is an examination of some research that was done and published in the publication Cell. And the title of the article is, You May Have More Neanderthal DNA Than You Think. And it is looking at research which has examined how some 60,000 years ago, early humans ventured out of Africa, spreading to the other corners of the world. These travelers were met by a landscape of hominins, vastly different from those they left behind. Neanderthals roamed the lands across Europe and the Middle East, and the Denisovans, another group of proto-humans, was spread through Asia. And whenever these groups met, they did what different groups of people will do when they've <laughs> got the urge and maybe a couple drinks in them, they mated. So we are looking at own. <laughs> research in this article, which is about how the Neanderthals did cross uh, mate and we still have that DNA in us. And what this research discovered was we have more Neanderthal DNA and it includes evidence that, and I think this is, this is a fascinating thing for the research to, to uncover. There was always this thought that the migration patterns were one way, out of Africa, into Europe, into mm -hmm. Asia, and then across land bridges into North America, South America, and so on. The research discovered that there are elements of Neanderthal DNA in parts of Africa where they weren't anticipated to be seen. And what this demonstrates is that there was migration in multiple directions over a period of thousands of years so that you would have had some migration go out of Africa and then their descendants effectively would migrate back at a later date, bringing with mm -hmm. them the different DNA that had been incorporated into family lines through the earlier migration. I think that's fascinating. All of that is to say, I think if this episode was written today, it might have a different write-up and it might have changed based on this more recent research to say yes. you yes. could have two different dominant species that effectively there might have been some Combined overlap and ability to mate between them and it might have changed what the point of the episode was or what the conclusion of the episode might have been. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I agree. It, it kind of goes along to with what Flox, though, was still arguing, which was nature takes let its nature course, take its yes. course. And so it's like that argument still stands. And then Archer's point would have shifted with yeah. new information. I thought it would have been very so, interesting if interesting. based on on the article that I just shared. I almost wonder if this episode was written today, you would have the exact same episode all the way to the end and the final conversation between Phlox and Archer and Phlox making the argument, one of the ways the Valakians could save themselves if they were willing to cross mate with the Mank and didn't see them as a lesser species. If they saw that potential yes. as something that would be something they would want to incorporate. And I actually expected the episode to lead to a point where the Valakians would be asked would you be willing to take on Menk DNA and having them refuse it out of a caste system thinking that yeah. never happened. But I wonder if this episode was written today that that element might, element might come up because of the idea of interspecies effectively mating could have been a solution for the Valachians. Yeah. So next time we're going to be talking about the episode Sleeping Dogs. And I already let a little bit of the 
Klingon cat out of the Klingon bag. We've got some Klingons in this episode, but other than that, Matt, any predictions? I think it's going to be Klingon dogs that mm. are sleeping. So my closing question for this episode, I'm interested in what our listeners and viewers have to say about the decision that the captain made. Did the captain make the right call by not helping the Valakians? And a second related question, did the doctor make the right call? In his arguments, they effectively reach the same conclusion through different paths. And I'm curious, does anybody see one of them being right or wrong while both of them came to the same conclusion? A reminder, once again, there are ways to support the podcast. You, If you're hearing these words out of my mouth right now, you've already done one of these things that you can do really well. You've listened all the way through to the end. Thank you. You can also <laughs> like and subscribe. You can share us widely with friends and strangers. Don't accost anybody on the street. Don't like grab somebody's collar and scream into their face, trek in time, trek in time. Actually, I, I would want people to do that. That would be interesting be to start seeing that pop up in the news. Yes. Yes. Why are, why <laughs> why are is this going viral? Why are people screaming in people's faces, trek in time? What does that even mean? You can also visit pod.fan slash trek dash in dash time and you can directly support the podcast by throwing some coins into the jar there before we sign off matt is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners and viewers about that you have going on anything coming up on your main channel that you wanted to talk about uh just to stay tuned because there's a lot of interesting episodes coming up on things like a company called corneau who's making some really interesting servers that get placed in your home that do cloud computing and give you free Mm. heat some really neat technology in the works. He also has a recent episode, which is about lab-grown meat. This right now, mm. if you're listening to this in the future, this is being record, recorded on August 13th. So if you were to look for the lab-grown meat episode, make sure you go to Matt's episode prior to 8-13-2021. Tasty, tasty lab-grown meat. <laughs> As for me, if you're interested in seeing anything related to my writing, please check out my website, seanfarrell.com. You can also look for my books at any major bookstore or your local little bookstore. I always encourage people to go small rather than go to the mall. If anybody has any comments or corrections, please do reach out and let us know. We always appreciate being told that that was a phaser bank, you idiot, not a photon torpedo tube. You can find the contact information in the podcast notes or on YouTube. You can just scroll down and make a comment directly below the video. And please do remember to subscribe, to like the episode, and to share it with your friends, and to come back next time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.